Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham back after uh, having to, again, deal with a lot of the end of the school year stuff that, of course, comes around every uh, every May. Almost done, almost done with the stuff uh, that has been taking up so much of my time, but there is no reason that I should be missing any more shows uh, unless some emergency like sickness or whatever comes up. I am back. I have a lot to talk about. It's like when you pinch off a water hose and the water backs up. Like if you watch that in the cartoons and the hose just keeps expanding and expanding behind the little pinched off point, that's how I feel right now because there's been so much that I've wanted to say but haven't had the chance to. 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation a little bit later in the show, but let's jump right into it. I need to talk about House Bill 813. I need to talk about it because... I have now. I, I'm glad that uh, Representative Alan Seaball is uh, putting an amendment to strike basically the entire language and copy over uh, a Senate bill's language that will actually do the right thing. It will actually criminalize abortion for providers. You don't want to criminalize abortion for the mothers that have an abortion. You don't want to do that. You don't always know the circumstances that would drive a person to do that. It, it's a very complex emotional, cultural, social set of decisions, set of uh, steps that you go through in that moment. And you're already putting, you're already making a very tough situation, a very tough decision, even tougher. And it's just unnecessarily cruel to women. Now, granted, uh, the bill was being put forward by Danny McCormick, who I think is a freshman legislator. I think it's brand new, uh, or just this is his first his first uh, term in the in the House. So a little bit of slack there, but it, it leads me to, I, I need to, to note a couple things. Again, about the political strategy, let's, let's take the, the, the very emotional issue of abortion off the table. Let's look at the political strategy behind it because winning the elections to make sure that you can keep enacting good policy should be part of the equation here. Now, I'm not saying play all politics at the expense of good policy. But I am saying you need to understand that in this case, you don't spike the football before you get to the end zone. And that's what this bill was. Well, it looks like Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. Uh, everything in this, in this bill, you know, gets drafted before the leaked Roe versus Wade opinion. But that was the largely the assumption going in with the Dobbs case was that Roe versus Wade was going to be affected in some way because of the conservative majority. So a Republican would write this kind of bill, which is just bad policy, and it's spiking the football before you get to the end zone. Before anything actually happens to Roe versus Wade, you write this bill because you think it's the right decision, you think it's the, it's the right thing to do, but you don't take into consideration all the other factors here. And as a result, I mean, it, we know that it's not great policy because you had Louisiana Right to Life, who's now come out and supported Alan Seaball's amendment to change the bill pretty much in its entirely, entirety. You had uh, several pro-life groups, both in Louisiana and around the country, say, this is a bad idea, don't do this. You had a lot of people in the legislature, not just the moderate ones who don't want to touch the abortion issue all that much, but actually conservative folks in the legislature in Baton Rouge who were saying, this is a mistake. It was a bad idea. Luckily, it looks like, you know, hopefully we can get, you know, we can change the language or just kill the bill, either which way, 
try to come back with something a little better in terms of policy. But it goes to understanding one of the most important rules of politics, as taught to me by a friend of mine who's in radio. Know when you're in the minority, even if you think you're right. Louisiana is a deep red pro-life state. But when you look at the data across the country, not just in Louisiana, but across the country, the question of abortion is a little more nuanced. Most people are personally pro-life, but they get very nervous about the dictates over women's bodies or whatever you want to call it. Abortion isn't evil, it is taking a life, but a lot of people are very nervous about getting that involved in the issue. So when you poll it, there is some hesitation. Yes, I'm pro-life. Yes, I believe that we should definitely restrict abortion after the first trimester. And yes, we should make it more difficult later on in the pregnancy. Early on in the pregnancy, a lot more people are a lot more hesitant. And that's polling data that you can see in the state. That's polling data you can see across the country. You need to understand that whether or not you think McCormick's bill was a good idea, it was not something that served the interests of the voters in Louisiana. And that is one of the biggest equations, the biggest parts of the equation. How do you advance a good pro-life agenda without chasing off all the people that would support you because you go one step too far? That's where this bill took us. And that's where we really need to try not to go because we do have so many good victories that are lining up. Louisiana made a national headline and it wasn't for something bad. Fox News put out a story. Dr. Cade Brumley, the superintendent of education in the state of Louisiana, was featured in a foxnews.com article, Louisiana Pushes Back on Wokeism with New Social Studies Curriculum. We're getting good looks from, out, from places outside of the state. We're finally getting positive headlines. Thanks, Wallet Hub. We're finally getting good positive headlines. We don't need to throw that away with a bill that is bad policy and is deeply unpopular even amongst pro-life groups. 232-1542. We will take calls if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. When we come back, let's talk about this Fox News article and why it's important. And I'll tell you from an educator's perspective why this is so important here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. So Dr. Cade Brumley, the superintendent of education in the state of Louisiana, has been making the rounds, has been doing uh, a lot of press, and, and Fox News has a couple stories on it. Uh, the first was published back in May. By the way, this is Joe Cunningham back on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5. Glad to be back with y'all after all the testing stuff. But speaking of education, I'm fascinated uh, by this uh, media push by Brumley and the fact that Fox News uh, and FoxNews.com is giving this attention to Brumley. It's very good for Louisiana, but it also makes a very important point. The story from May 9th. Social studies standards in Louisiana, the best in the nation, argues state superintendent of education. 
Now, I've, I've been over the news standards, but very briefly, where, where Fox News is focused is obviously on the, uh, the American history aspect of it. Now, there's a bit more to it because in order to make the U.S. history stuff happen, you have to make some adjustments to the other stuff. So, for example, uh, in sixth grade for the past several years, we've been teaching world civilizations, but now that's being spread out uh, uh, for third, fourth, and fifth grade. So uh, the cradle civilizations, what, uh, what we're talking about, uh, the, very, the earliest of civilizations in, in the, uh, the Mesopotamia, uh, the, that area of the world, China, Egypt, the, the very oldest of civilizations, that'll be third grade. Then you have, um, I think, antiquity, which is like Greece and Rome, I think is fourth grade, or maybe it's, yeah, it's that. And then you have uh, world history up to like the Renaissance in fifth grade. And so that gets what was in sixth grade out of the way. And it, it, it expands that a whole lot more. So kids are getting a whole lot more content there. But that opens up sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And this is where Fox News and a lot of the other folks are really paying attention to. At this time, where we are politically, uh, you have the 1619 Project, you have critical race theory, you have all of these competing ideologies basically attacking the very foundation of America. So the new standards in the state of Louisiana are pushing for expanded U.S. history education in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. So 6th grade is no longer world civilization. 6th grade will now be uh, from, I think, uh, pre-Columbian to Columbian discovery of the Americas up to uh, the French Revolution. And I'm sorry, not the, the French and Indian War. Uh and a lot of this is also going to be focused on integrating Louisiana history into it as well, because eighth grade so far has been Louisiana history, and that's been the content for eighth grade. But now we're uh, putting Louisiana history into the U.S. history that we're studying. Seventh grade will be uh, pre-revolutionary United States up through the uh, Civil War and Reconstruction. And eighth grade will be post-reconstruction to the modern era. So now you're expanding how much kids can really dive into American history. And that's what Brumley is talking about. The new standards adopted in March, this is from the, uh, the Fox story, the new standards adopted in March of this year are designed to, quote, tell the whole story, I mean, tell the whole history, the whole story, but at the same time not be apologetic for America, Brumley told Fox News Digital at the Milken Institute 2022 Global Conference. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Our kids deserve to know that. And our kids need to understand and appreciate that they have a responsibility to protect, sustain, and improve our constitutional republic, he added. And he's absolutely right. And of course, the standards change a little bit as well as you get into high school. We're going as a state from doing our end-of-year leap testing in U.S. history, changing it to civics. Civics actually is one of the lowest scoring areas when we look at standardized test data. The study of civics, the organization of people into governments, into society, into societies, that's what civics is. Those scores, those strands have been fairly low in our testing. And now to make that the leap focus in high school would put more emphasis on civics education. And that's a good step for, for Louisiana. So you'll have civics, you'll still have world geography, you'll still have world history, and you will have U.S. history. U.S. history in high school is changing. Under the old standards, seventh grade was U.S. history, and it was uh, Columbian through the Reconstruction, and then high school U.S. history was post-Reconstruction to the modern era. 
Well, now you're breaking it down in seventh grade. And so what you can do in high school is you can do a whole history, a whole U.S. history, but also from a more mature standpoint, a more mature look from the eyes of a high schooler. This is also beneficial, by the way, because a lot of teachers who teach U.S. history also teach AP U.S. history. And under the old standards, U.S. history was post-Reconstruction to the modern era, while AP U.S. history was the full scope of American history. Now you can align things, and now you can actually throw in some AP-level education and try to boost up some of your not AP, sometimes lower-performing kids, but boost them up and introduce some of those AP-type college-level skills into your regular high school classroom to elevate those students as well. It's a really good step for Louisiana. And Dr. Cade Brumley is making some really good moves by pushing this and going out and promoting it. And the story that was released yesterday, um, they go a little bit further into it on foxnews.com, talking about Louisiana going the extra mile to counter woke politics in the classroom. And it's not, here's the beauty of it. It is not an active fight. You don't have to go out there and say, we're going to fight wokeism in the classroom. All you have to do is present the information like these standards do. And that's how you're fighting the wokeism, by actually portraying American history, not running away from the stuff that's controversial, not running away from slavery, not trying to whitewash slavery or anything like that but openly acknowledging the great American experiment, what the Constitution is, those dark moments in our history, but how we've overcome and improved, that is how you make history education in the state better. That's how you combat all the hyper-woke stuff that's out there, the critical race theory, all that. That's how you combat it, by acknowledging the bad, but also focusing on the good and how the good has overcome the bad. Because we have made some tremendous gains in all that. We have made some tremendous corrections in American history based uh, over what we used to do as far as slavery and our treatment of uh, indigenous peoples and immigrants and all that. We, we've made tremendous strides in fixing a lot of that. 232-1542. Let's take a quick break for our bottom of the news, uh, bottom of the hour news. When we come back, some national stuff. Why is Joe Biden so low energy in his speeches lately? Talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today and really, really interested. So y'all remember when Georgia passed its uh, its new election law and Stacey Abrams and everybody, uh, all the Democratic Party, all the media came out and called it the new Jim Crow. It's Jim Crow 2.0 and all that. Y'all want to know something funny? Let me just give you these numbers. Oh, I lost, of course, I lost my numbers. Let me give you the numbers because Georgia's actually begun early voting. And voting is underway because this year is the gubernatorial election. Uh, you also have a Senate race uh, going on this year for the midterms. You have a lot of stuff, a lot of statewide positions being voted on in Georgia. Georgia, keep in mind, after enacting Jim Crow 2.0, Georgia's turnout is 223% of its 2018 turnout as of today in early voting. 223%.
And before anybody on the left says, well, that's just the Republicans because they cheat. No, no, no. 109,000 Democrats have voted early in person. 11,700 Democrats have mailed absentee ballots in. But those, those are high numbers. But here's the thing. The GOP has recorded 157, almost 158,000, this was as of this morning, early in-person votes. And here's the big kicker. This is how you know GOP enthusiasm is about to upset Raphael Warnock in Georgia. In the mailed absentee uh, ballots, 11,749 Democrat as of this morning. For the GOP, 11,044. The GOP at mailed absentee ballots, which the GOP does not submit in as high as numbers as the Democrats do. They're almost at parity. They're almost equal. As of this morning. So one... Jim Crow 2.0 isn't so much Jim Crow 2.0 if you still got that many Democrats going out to early vote. But, 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 Republican enthusiasm is incredibly high right now. And that's a big problem for the Democrats. Two days ago, Joe Biden gave, his, he finally gave a speech on inflation. And if you go back and listen to the speech, I'm sure uh, Moon's played some clips from it. I'm sure there's probably been some clips there. There's been some clips on Bongino's show. Uh, there, there's been clips all over talk radio, all over Fox News, every, everywhere. You go and you listen to clips of this speech. Biden, normally a very passionate guy when he gives public speeches like that, was monotone. It was like listening to Ben Stein give us political speech. It was just monotonous, no energy. No, Even when he mentioned ultra MAGA plan, he actually said ultra MAGA Republicans. By the way, the White House uh, admitted that the ultra part was ad-libbed by Biden. MAGA was in the script for the speech, but ultra he threw in there. If he's going to ad-lib and add some passionate words like ultra, you would think that he would adjust his emotional tone to match it. Uh, today, or yes, I think it was uh, today, he was giving a speech, and he's screaming about food shortages, which, by the way, are happening under his administration. He is getting passionate about food shortages. But he can't get passionate about a political speech where he's talking about inflation. Now, he, the problem with Biden, that speech from a again, I haven't been here for a while, so you guys just give me a minute to try to collect all my thoughts in the past few days. In Biden's speech, he blamed inflation on Putin's war and on energy companies. Elizabeth Warren is out there saying uh, that this is all the fault of big corporations and price gouging, and, and the Democrats want to do something about price gouging. Nancy Pelosi is going to put a bill in front of the House about price gouging and how the president needs to have the authority to uh, force companies to not raise their prices in, in emergencies like this. They can't get their messaging straight. Is it Putin? Is it the energy companies? Is it the big businesses? 
that are price gouging. What is it? They can't get their messages straight. All they know is they have to decry all this stuff and shift the blame somewhere else. Because they do not have any answers. That's why, again, they're really hoping the abortion thing will bring some voters out to the polls. But the early voting that we're seeing in Georgia, the elections that we're seeing in some of these primaries that we've already had going on, we're seeing Republican enthusiasm and we're seeing Democrats who aren't showing up. That's the thing. It's not that Democrats are switching sides even. They're not going to the polls. There are a lot of Democrats who simply won't vote for Republicans. But there's so much dysfunction in the Democratic Party. They're just not going out to vote. And so the Republicans are set to have a big year this year. And I know I've been saying that for a while, but it, you, we have to keep saying it. Because the more the data comes in, the, more the, the worse the news gets. Yesterday, in an IBD uh, tip poll, Biden had a historically low job approval rating of 39%. Today, there's polling from Monmouth, which puts Biden's job approval at 38. Civics, C-I-V-I-Q-S, also released a poll earlier today giving Biden 34% job approval. If you look at the averages, it just keeps dropping. And the National Republican Senatorial Committee is jumping in on it. From Politico, the National Republican Senatorial Committee is reserving $53 million in ads in top battleground states through the November election, a figure substantially larger than the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee's $33 million initial ad buy for the year, and greater than the NRSC's $33 million reservation at this point in the 2020 cycle. Here's the breakdown. In Georgia, Republicans, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, spending $9.5 million on ads. In Wisconsin, $9 million. In New Hampshire, $9 million. In Arizona, $8 million. In Pennsylvania, $8 million. In North Carolina, $6.5 million. In Nevada, $3 million. They're running these ads in battleground more in some of them more blue than red more uh the, the 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 purple of these states is a little more blue than it is red but they're running they're putting all this money into le- into elections in these states the other day Reuters ran a story Reuters ran a story the other day where they went to Arizona and they interviewed a lot of people in the suburbs in the more democratic parts of the uh, of the urban areas uh, of the suburbs, the democratic suburbs in Arizona, and you know what they found? A pretty high percentage of voters who did not care about the Roe versus Wade thing, they did not care about abortion as an issue in this election cycle. You know why? Because they are worried about the fact that they can't buy basic groceries. For their families. They can't buy formula for the babies. That's a pretty big deal. 232-1542. I know we've got some folks in the lines. Y'all hang on. We will be back in just a minute here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Do have a caller on the line? 
Uh, Randall, thank you very much for calling. How are you today? Hey, Joe, doing good despite the heat. Yeah. Hey, I'll be quick with this. I just heard you say that there was a poll that showed uh, Joe Biden has 39, 38%. Yes. Who are the people saying, yeah, I like high gas prices? Yeah, I like, you know, high prices of everything. So uh, are they dumb or they're illiterate or they're just the people who will vote for the, you know, support the Democratic candidate come hell, high water and, you know, that, all what we're having. That's basically it. it's the people who are the diehard partisans who are looking at this and they're buying the White House line that, oh, this is beyond Joe Biden's control. This is beyond the president's control. This was stuff left over from Trump. This is Putin. This is anything but Biden. These, these are people who are the hardcore partisans who are just absolutely dead set on making sure that everybody believes that this is not on Joe Biden. And, and, and again, 39% approval rating, it's, it's, it, and that's being that that was uh, yesterday's, today was even lower, but 39% approval rating, that's hardcore partisans, and that's also people who don't pay a whole lot of attention to politics and just they, yeah. they, they're, they're not really focusing on a lot of things. And truth be told, if you really if you dig down into the data, I'm, I'm, I haven't I haven't looked at the demographics, the breakdown, or anything. I'm just looking at, at these these larger numbers here. I'm willing to bet that you're probably finding educated college educated white voters are giving higher approval huh. in these instances because the the inflationary issues, stuff like that, they don't affect those as much as as they would affect the uh, the non college educated minority voters and and there are some college educated white voters who are not who are concerned not in favor of it but you'll find that the numbers are higher in in that demographic because um mm-hmm. the more educated white voters typically actually start to to demographically vote left and so they're they're more likely to be democrats so they're going to go with that partisan lean in the, in that type of polling all right yeah, that pretty much answers it uh, i guess you know they must enjoy paying four fifty for gas and you know all the other stuff going on. But oh, they probably ride bikes. Never floats their boat. They 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 ride their they ride their bikes in the city. They're, that's, oh, that's, that's right. That's yeah, right. They, or, and, uh, or they have their Teslas. TV cars. They have yeah, yeah. They they have their electric vehicles. They have their bikes. They they don't need to worry about gas prices or anything like that. They they they're fine with public transportation because they want to save the environment. Yeah, that that's what that is. Oh well. Teach his own. Yeah, okay, right. sir. Thank you. Thank you, you Randall. You too. 232-1542 if y'all want to jump in. There is a story I do want to get to. I promise. I actually promised on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. I posted this story yesterday as a reminder that I'm actually going to talk about it today. The Los Angeles Times has this story, and I think it's fascinating. It's not getting a whole lot of play, but I think it's fascinating. Let me, uh, of course, the the ad blocker stuff comes up. Let me try this again. So the Los Angeles Times is running this story about uh, the the nation's most secretive, exclusive power lunch. And that is the vice presidential lunch. Now, going back to uh, going back to to Jimmy Carter, I think Uh, definitely Reagan, but but Jimmy Carter. The vice president has always had a weekly one-hour lunch with the president. And it was often used as a way for the vice president to get certain uh, 
policy ideas or running interference for something or something like that. If you just kind of go through, uh, you go through the history of these lunches. Uh, um, Walter Mondale used his Washington experience to help kind of guide the Carter administration through his lunches with Jimmy Carter. George H.W. Bush used it to kind of uh, build his relationship with uh, with Ronald Reagan because he and Reagan had been bitter opponents, but but Bush also knew more about Washington, knew how Washington worked, and, and could help Reagan through some of that. Uh, Al Gore used it really. Gore was a policy nerd and would use it to push policies. Uh, but Kamala Harris, since January of this year, they've only had the lunch a couple times. There is virtually no relationship between the president and the vice president at this point. So while all of Biden's numbers are getting lower and lower, there's no successor right now. We've got time, I think at least for one more call. We've got Jay on the line. Jay, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Um, man, I tell you, Biden is just a, is just ending up to be a, a gift for for Republicans running for election this year. It seems like, but um, yeah. about the uh, about the uh, the uh, infant formula shortage, it seems that it must be more than re- it must be very regionalized because I went on Walmart's website today and there's plenty in stock in Lafayette at all the WalMarts. And matter of fact, you can order from any Walmart that has it in stock and have it shipped to the Walmart nearest you. I kind of confused. Now, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, what's the solution that there is a, well, there is an alternative a long time ago. I know in this area, if you, if you for some reason couldn't breastfeed, uh, this was before formula, you know, they commonly fed the babies um, goat milk because goat milk is called the universal milk. It's, um, it has, uh, you know, it's full of vitamins, minerals, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it is uh, digested extremely much easier than cow's milk because of the type of fat that's in there or the type of lactose that's yeah. in there. It's uh, extremely easy to digest. And that's what a lot of babies were fed to m- nursing mothers that could not produce milk if they couldn't afford a nursemaid, which is, I'm, I'm starting to think I'm going to, if this does hit this area, I might contract myself out and hire a couple of hundred women around here to be nursemaids and beat <laughs> them out. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm actually going to spend a portion of tomorrow's show because I want to get a buddy of mine who's actually written about this, Scott Lincecum uh, at the Dispatch. I want to talk about the, the formula shortage, and you're right, it is regional, it's depending on what you're buying, but there are shortages and it is very noticeable. Uh, thank you very much, Jay, for calling. Thank you, uh, everybody, for listening. I'm going to be back in 23 hours. We're going to be back right here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Be sure to tune in and check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you guys again real soon.